Well, good morning. It's such a blessing to be able to be together, to be able to worship the Lord together, to be able to spend time in his presence, to be together as the people of God. Uh, I have to say that I really do look forward to Sundays. I look forward to our time together on Sundays. Uh, Sundays, you know, are just a unique privilege that we have uh, to be the people of God, to worship, to hear his word, and just really, really grateful to be together. Um, we are going to take some time now to look at his word together. Uh, we have been reading through the book of Numbers, for those of you who have been following along in our corporate Bible reading. But uh, because Friday night, as most of you know, Friday night is going to be our first outreach. So the other elders thought it would be good for us to have a message about outreach, about sharing our faith, about giving the hope of Christ to those who do not yet have it. So I've been reading Numbers, and I've been loving Numbers, but I didn't really find a passage of Scripture in Numbers that particularly suited talking about doing outreach. So we're not going to look at Numbers this morning. Instead, we're going to look at a passage from 1 Peter and a passage from Isaiah. But as we begin our time together looking at the Word, let's pray together. And more than anything, ask the Lord to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for once again giving us this opportunity to be together. And Father, even though we do it every week, I just want to thank you because it really is a blessing. It really is a blessing to be able to come together as your people, sisters and brothers who love you and love one another, who enjoy each other, and Lord, who are excited about you, excited about worshiping you, excited about hearing your word, excited about touching this world with your love. God, that's just such a, that's such a gift that you've given to us. And so I just, I want to thank you for that. And Father, I do want to thank you particularly for the way that you speak to us and the way you reveal yourself to us through your word. And right now, Lord God, we are going to read some of your word together. And of course, Lord God, we pray that you would help us to understand what we read, that you would help, it, help us, Lord, to apply it to our lives. Because, Lord, it's not just, it's not just looking at words. It's, it's sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's hearing your voice. It's hearing you speak to us once again. Father, thank you. Thank you that you speak to us. You reveal yourself to us. We are overwhelmed. And so, Lord, we believe that once again, there are some things on your heart that you want to share with us. And so we pray now, Lord, that you would help each one of us to be attentive to what you want to say. Father, not my words, not my thoughts. Those are, are worth nothing. But Lord, your words and your thoughts they are worth everything. To know what the God of the universe is thinking 
to hear what the God of the universe is saying. That's what we have the opportunity to do. And we just thank you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray all of these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So as I said, we are going to begin by looking at a passage from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read together verses 13 to 16. Now, of course, we're jumping into the middle of Peter's letter. We're not going to have the time to go over all of the context, all of the things that he has been speaking about leading up to the passage that we're going to read. But we are going to tie a little bit of that in. But first, I just want to read. So this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. It says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and fear, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So the central theme that we're going to get to eventually is always be ready. Always be ready. That's what Peter challenges us with in the middle of verse 15. It says, always be prepared. Always be ready. And that's what I want to talk about today. But before we get there, we've got to backtrack back a little bit. Not backpack. That was a mentis lapsus. Not backpack. We need to backtrack a little bit. To verse 13. Peter makes an incredibly bold and challenging statement in verse 13. Let's just read that again. It says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager or if you are zealous to do good? Who is going to harm you if you are zealous to do good? Well, the first thing that I want to emphasize is that Peter is talking to believers here. Peter is talking to followers of Jesus Christ. And he is just assuming that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are eager, we are zealous to do good. He's just assuming that. That as followers of Jesus Christ, he is assuming that we are zealous, that we are excited, that we are eager to do good, to do what is right. That should be just part of who we are. Each morning that we wake up as followers of Jesus Christ, we should have a desire. We should have a zeal. We should be eager to do what is good. Those around us, those who know us, those who see us, would they describe us that way? Would they describe us that way? Would they say, wow, there's a guy, there's a woman that is eager to do good. There's a person that is zealous to do what is right. 
You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, that really should be a passion that we have. Peter's just assuming it. He's just assuming it. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Now, there's the challenging part. Because on the surface, what it seems like Peter is saying is, look, if as followers of Jesus Christ, we are, are zealous and eager and excited to do what is good, to do what is right, we will not suffer. People will not give us a hard time. We will not have persecution. We will not have opposition. It seems that potentially that's what Peter is saying. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Now, the problem is that is, of course, probably not what Peter is saying. And the truth of it is, in our own experience, we realize that that isn't necessarily true on that superficial level. We realize that there are many, many times that as followers of Jesus Christ, when we are eager to do what is good, when we are eager to do what is right, we do suffer. We do experience difficulty and opposition. So if that's not what Peter is saying, then what, what is Peter saying? And I think the key to understanding what he's saying in verse 13 is what he goes on to say at the very beginning of verse 14. He says, but even if you should suffer, and it's amazing because if you read the entirety of 1 Peter, 1 Peter was written to a group of churches that were suffering intensely for Jesus Christ. It was not written to a single congregation. It was written to a group of congregations. And Peter was well aware of the fact that as followers of Jesus Christ, these churches, these believers, they were suffering. They were enduring hardship. They were enduring opposition. They were enduring insult. Not so much from the Roman government. It wasn't state persecution, but from their neighbors, from their co-workers, from the folks that they rubbed shoulders with. They were experiencing a lot of difficulty because they had chosen to give their lives to Jesus Christ. So that makes it even more challenging to try to understand what he's getting at in verse 13. But if we look at the beginning of verse 14, here I believe is the key. It says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. That's the key. You know, some years earlier, Peter had laid everything down. And he had chosen to leave everything. To follow a man. Unlike any man he had ever met before. And he didn't always fully understand everything that this other man was teaching. He didn't always completely grasp what this other man was doing. But what he did understand is that this other man was everything. There was a time when this other man, and of course we know this is Jesus. There was a time when this other man, Jesus, gave an incredibly difficult teaching. And many of Jesus' disciples left him. And Jesus turns and he looks at the twelve and he says, Are you going to leave me too? And Peter, Peter said, Lord, you have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? This is the Peter that's writing this letter to us. And he hung on every one of Jesus' words. 
He certainly didn't always completely understand them at the time, but he knew he had found the one. He knew he had found the one for whom they had been waiting. And they, he knew that Jesus was everything. And he was going to stick close to him. So early in Jesus' ministry, when he went up on a mountain and sat down to preach the people, Jesus said something about suffering and persecution and difficulty. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. It says, blessed are you when people insult you. You see, now we understand what Peter is saying in verse 13. When people insult you, they're not really harming you. In fact, when people insult us, we in fact are blessed. Huh. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Wow, blessed. Doesn't that sound like exactly what Peter says in verse 14? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. You see, Peter is echoing the words of his Savior. Through the incredible work of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the resurrected Christ, these truths are now embedded in Peter's heart, and he's now sharing them with folks who are suffering. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when we are insulted, when we are mistreated, when we are persecuted, when we suffer for the, the, the name of Jesus Christ, you see, ultimately, they are really doing us no harm, not any permanent harm, not any ultimate harm, not any eternal harm. Yes, they're giving us momentary difficulty in this life. But Jesus and Peter echoing it says, actually, when that happens, we are blessed. We are blessed. And we should rejoice. We should rejoice, not because of the momentary sufferings, but because of the far greater eternal reward that we have. So you see, when Peter in verse 13 of, of, of 1 Peter 3 says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? I believe what he is saying here is exactly what Jesus had said. That ultimately, no one and nothing in this world can do us any real permanent harm. And in fact, when the unbelieving world insults us and mocks us and laughs at us and persecutes us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are reminded of how greater our reward will be when we go to be with Jesus. And that's why Peter says in verse 14, but even if you do suffer, even if you do experience insult and opposition and hardship, in fact, when these things happen, you are blessed. You see how radically different the Lord expects us to view the things that happen in this life. You can't get much more radically different than saying, when I am mistreated, when I suffer hardship and opposition, in fact, I am blessed. And I'm going to choose 
to rejoice. Again, not because of that circumstance in and of itself, but because we know something that's going to be given to us as a reward that is far greater. That is far greater. That's how we need to look at this. So let's read this again. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. This is how the Lord is challenging us to think of the opposition that we receive in this world. It's different. It's not easy. But it's what is true. It's what is true. Peter goes on then to actually borrow from and recast a prophecy from Isaiah. Picking it up in verse 14, it says, Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. So turn with me now to the prophet Isaiah. Because Peter is quoting from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 to 15. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 to 15. It says, The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, Do not call conspiracy everything that they, this people call conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble, they will fall and be broken, they will be snared and captured. But we see here the verses that Peter was quoting from. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. Looking again at Peter. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Well, just quickly, we don't have time to go into great detail, but in Isaiah, Isaiah, the people of God were experiencing a threat. They were experiencing a threat of possible invasion, possible conquest, and being handed over to their enemies. So there was a lot of conspiracy theories that were going around. There were a lot of things of which they were afraid, this impending invasion, this possible warfare, this possible fall of their capital and of their homes. So there was a lot percolating and circulating in Judah at that time. A lot of conspiracy theories, a lot of things to be afraid of, a lot of hype. And the Lord clearly told Isaiah, do not be like this people. Do not fear what they fear. Do not believe the theories that they believe. Instead, set apart the Lord in your heart. Instead of listening 
to all of the voices, to all of the rumors, to all of the conversation, instead of listening to all of that, instead of giving your heart to all of that, all of your attention to all of that, all of your worry and concern to all of that, the Lord clearly told Isaiah, do not do that. Set me apart as holy and fear me. Well, 3,000 years later, after the prophet of Isaiah, we as the people of God find ourselves in the same situation. There are all sorts of rumors. There are all sorts of conspiracy theories. There are all sorts of things of which we should be afraid. The media is constantly putting that in front of us. Conversations with other people are putting that in front of us. If we're not careful, it's so easy for us to give all of our heart and all of our attention, or at least too much of it, to all of these things that are circulating around us. All of the what-ifs and all of the what-abouts. It was true in the time of Isaiah. It was true in the time of Peter. It's true in our time as well. And the solution that the Lord gave to Isaiah is the same solution that the Lord gave to Peter, is the same solution that the Lord gives to us today. Set apart Christ in your heart as holy. Fear him. That is what the Lord has always required and asked of his people. Set apart Christ in your heart as holy. Fear him. That's always what the Lord has asked of us. So the next question that I have for us, is that what we are doing? Is that what we are doing? Are we setting apart Christ in our heart as holy? Are we fearing the Lord? Are we shutting off all of the noise and all of the clamor and all of the media circus that is constantly bombarding us? Are we shutting that off and making Christ the primary focus, the primary intention of our hearts? Because that's what the Lord is requiring of us. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are different. We are different. Peter makes that clear. Remember, first and foremost, what does Peter assume? That we are zealous to do what is good. That we are zealous to do what is right. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should have that reputation. That we as followers of Jesus want to do what is good, want to do what is right. We are excited about that. What else should define us is that even when we are mistreated, even when we are persecuted, even when we suffer opposition, ultimately we find the greater blessing that lies beyond, the greater joy that is deeper, that is stronger, that is more lasting than the temporary opposition that we face. Does the unbelieving world look at that, look at us and see that? Or do they see us complaining just as much as they do? Do they see us fighting for our rights just as much as they do? Do they see us getting offended just as much as they do? What do they see when they look at us? What do they see when they look at us as followers of Jesus Christ? Do they see something different? 
or do we look just like them? Do we sound just like them? Do we complain just as much as them? Do we fight for our rights just as much as them? Do we gripe just as much as them? Do we hold on to offenses just as much as them? Do we fight back just as much as them? When they look at followers of Jesus Christ, what do they see? We've got to be different. We have to be different. We cannot be like them. We will not convince a single person that Jesus Christ is Lord if we simply live like they do. Because they will look at us and say, what's the difference? What difference is Jesus making in your life? If they do not look at us and see something completely different, we will not convince anyone that Jesus Christ is Lord. Peter absolutely knew that. And that's why he was writing the churches this letter. So when they look at us, church, when they look at us, Living Word community, what do they see? Do they see something different? Do they see that we are determined to do, to be zealous to do what is good and right? Do they see a people that even when we are insulted, even when we are mistreated, that we don't respond in kind? But in fact, we have a greater joy. We know a greater blessing that is far more lasting, far more permanent, far more real than the temporary sufferings that we endure. Do they see that more than anything else, we are setting apart in our hearts Jesus Christ as holy? Are we submitting to him as Lord? Are we fearing him more than we are fearing anything else? any rumor, any media story, any political threat, any military threat? Are we fearing God more than all of that? Is that what the world sees when they look at us? Is that what the world sees? Again, as Peter was quoting from Isaiah, he was also, I'm sure, remembering the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, because again, when Jesus said this, Peter was standing right there. Peter heard this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. It says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We are not to fear anything or anyone in this world. Peter was absolutely so determined to tell the churches that he was writing, you are to fear the Lord. You are not to fear anything in this life. You are not to fear anyone in this life. You are to fear the Lord. And here's the amazing thing. When we fear the Lord more than we fear anyone else, we will love people more than we ever thought was possible. But as long as we are afraid of people, we will not really genuinely love them. But if we fear the Lord more, if we set apart Christ as Lord in our heart, if we make him our everything, then we will actually love people more. And we will love people better. That's why. That's why we need to fear Christ. 
That's why we need to set apart Christ as holy in our lives. Because the world is desperate to experience the love of God. The world is desperate to experience the forgiveness of God. The world is desperate to find what we have found. But as long as we are more afraid of them than we are of the Lord, we will not share that with them the way that we should. We will not love them the way that we should. We will not present Christ to them the way that we should. You know this is a message about outreach because on Friday night we're going to be here. We're going to be here at 6.30. We're going to set up our sound system. We're going to set up some other things. And we're going to be outside. And for many of us, we're afraid of that. Let's just be honest. For many of us, we're afraid of that. We're afraid to step out and tell someone that we love Jesus. We're afraid to step out and tell someone that we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are afraid of the rejection or the laughter or the insult or the disinterest that we may experience. And as long as we are more afraid of a potential reaction than we are of the Lord himself, we will not love the world the way that Jesus wants us to. We won't. Jesus wants us to love this world. Jesus wants us to passionately, sacrificially love the people in this world. And if we are afraid of them, we won't do it. We won't do it. If we are afraid of them, we'll find a reason not to be here on Friday night. If we're afraid of them, we'll find an excuse. That's why we have to set apart Christ as holy in our hearts. That's why we have to fear Him more than anything else. And if we do this, and I realize I am failing in every one of these points that I'm putting in front of us, don't even for a second think that I am walking this out perfectly, not by a long shot, but this is what I want to live like. This is how I want to follow Jesus Christ. If we do this, in verse 15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. And this is where we get to the heart of this message. Always be ready. Always be ready. Always be ready to do what, Peter? What are we to always be ready to do? Give an answer to those who question you for the hope that is in you. You see, if we are genuinely living the way that the Lord is expecting us to live, if we are genuinely zealous to do what is good and right, if we are genuinely considering ourselves blessed and genuinely rejoicing even in the hardest of circumstances, if we are fearing the Lord and not fearing anything in this life, if we are setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, what is going to happen? The world is going to look at us and they are going to say, you are different. I've never seen anyone like you. I've never met anyone like you. What is going on with you? They will ask. What makes you different? What gives you hope in the most hopeless of circumstances? What gives you joy in the most disheartening of circumstances? What makes you able to be courageous and face the most challenging of circumstances? What is going on with you? You see, when we 
endeavor to live the way that the Lord wants us to live, there are going to be those in the world who are going to see and they're going to ask us, what is going on with you? That person totally mistreated you. Why didn't you curse them out? That person was completely unfair to you. Why didn't you try to get them back? Why are you always so excited about doing what is right? Why is it that nothing ultimately intimidates you? You see, these are the kind of things that the world should be seeing in us as followers of Jesus Christ. This is the kind of witness that we should be putting on display. And what Peter understands is, if we as followers of Jesus are living this way, then there's going to be folks that are going to say, what is going on with you? Where is this hope coming from? How do you find hope in the most discouraging of circumstances? Always be ready to give an answer to those who question you about the hope that is in you. Well, Paul, when he was writing the church in Colossae, said, Jesus Christ, in us, the hope of glory. Jesus is our hope. Jesus in us. Jesus Christ in us is the hope of glory. That's what the world so desperately needs. That's what we have. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. That's what we need to put on display. That's what we need to offer the world. How are we able to live this life with all of the things that Peter is encouraging us to live this life in? It's not because we're better. It's not because we're smarter. It's not because we're holier. It's not because we're more gifted. I'm the most weak, pathetic person that I know. The only reason that we're able to do anything that Jesus asks us is because it is Christ himself that is living in us. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. And there will be people and there have been people who will wonder what makes us different. But you see, if they're looking at us and we look like them and we talk like them and we think like them and we react like them, then they're not going to ask us anything. Because they're going to say, oh, you're just like us. You are behaving just like us. You see how the key is that we as followers of Jesus Christ become more and more determined to live the way that the Lord wants us to. Because when we live a radically different kind of life, then other people will say, man, you're weird, you're strange, you're different. What is going on with you? And then we have the opportunity to share, well, everything that I have that is good, that gives me hope, that gives me joy, comes from Jesus Christ who lives in me. And he would be delighted. He would be delighted to take up residence in your heart. You see, the world is looking. The world is desperate. They're pursuing everything imaginable to try to fill the emptiness that they find in themselves. The loneliness, the despair, the heartache, the disappointment. Everyone in the world is facing this. And everyone in the world is desperately trying to make this go away. And they're turning to drugs and alcohol and everything else under the sun to try to fill that emptiness. And it will never, ever, ever 
take care of the problem. They will only find themselves more miserable on the other side of things. The answer that the world desperately needs is the answer that we have. Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. I am not the answer. You are not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. But Jesus Christ has entrusted us the incredible privilege of being able to put him on display. We are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. But if he is in us, then we need to make sure he is shining through us. We need to make sure that when people who don't know him look at us, they see him. They see something different because that's what will make them wonder. That's what will make them hungry. That's what will ultimately give us the opportunity to say that emptiness, that loneliness, that despair, that heartache, that brokenness that you have been experiencing. There is one who can fill that. There is one who can heal that. It's not me, but I know him. And I would love to introduce you to him. His name is Jesus. Church, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We are living in a desperate, broken world. And until we met Jesus, we were in it. And some way or another, through a friend, through a family member, through a track, through a video, through a sermon, some way or another, we met Jesus Christ. And we discovered that, in fact, he is the answer. Now we have the incredible blessing, the incredible privilege of putting him on display. So that people who are empty and lost and broken and hurting and desperate have an opportunity to find that same glorious hope that we have found. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. So on Friday night, that's what we're going to try to do. That's what we're going to try to do. We're not going to try to put the spotlight on ourselves. We're not going to try to be slick and polished and incredibly amazing by worldly standards. We're just going to step outside and say, you know what? We found the one. We have found the one. And if you are interested, we would love to give you an opportunity to find him as well. Always be ready. Always be ready. You know, Friday night, we are going to be very intentional about doing this. But Peter didn't write, be ready on Friday night. Always. Because the truth of it is, every day that you live your life for Jesus, there's going to be an opportunity to share with someone the hope of Jesus Christ in you. We're not just going to run into people who are desperate for Jesus on Friday night. We're going to run into them on Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday at lunch. We're going to run into people who are desperate for Jesus Christ all of the time. That's why we need to always, always, always be ready. Always be ready just to give an answer. Just to give an answer of the hope in you. You know what? It's not me. It's not me. It's him. I know you see something different about me. I know you wonder how am I keeping it together when my entire life is falling apart. I know you wonder that. It's not me. It's him. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. 
And be ready, be prepared. How do we prepare ourselves to be ready at that moment when we have an opportunity to share Christ with someone? Well, first we pray. We should be praying all of the time, Lord, make me ready. Lord, make me ready. When that moment comes, tomorrow morning at work or, or tomorrow night at home or, or Tuesday afternoon with my neighbor, make me ready, make me ready. We should always pray. We should be in the Word. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a seminarian. You don't have to be a preacher. But you better at least know the basics of the Christian faith. If someone asks you about Jesus, you better be able to say at least something about who He is and what He's done and what He's done for you. We should have a basic understanding of that hope of Jesus Christ so that we can share it with someone else. And there's absolutely nothing wrong as we are challenged to always be ready to think about, well, what would I say? What would I say if an atheist said to me, I don't believe in God? What would I say if someone came to me and said, I don't think having sex with anyone I want is wrong? What if someone came to me and said, I'm a Muslim? What do you think about that? It's not wrong to think about that. It's not wrong to think about possible things that people will present to us. That's also part of how we can be ready. That's also part of how, we, again, we don't have to be experts. I'm not saying this to intimidate us. But we certainly can be prepared, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And you know what one of the most amazing answers a Christian can give? I'm not sure. Because there's a lot of things that people are going to put in front of us that maybe we don't have a great answer for. You know, there's nothing wrong with honestly saying, you know what, I'm not sure about that. You know, on Friday night, you may get someone in a conversation who asks you a question that you genuinely don't know. And you know what, you don't have to try to pretend to be perfect. You don't have to try to pretend to have every answer. You can say honestly, you know what, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's a, that's a great question. I'm not sure. Because there is one thing that we are sure of, that Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. That much we are sure of. And that's what we need to emphasize. But there may be some issues that are raised that, that you're not sure. You may not be an expert in Islam. You may not be an expert in Hinduism or Buddhism or atheism. That's okay. There may be some questions that come your way where you say, you know what, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's a great question. That's okay. That's okay. But we want to be ready. We want to be as ready as we can be to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Peter goes on. He tells us how we are to be ready. And this is so important. Look at the end of verse 15. But do this with gentleness or humility and with fear. Now, Peter just got through telling us that we are to fear no one but God himself. So at the end of verse 15, I don't think Peter is saying that we are to fear people. I think Peter is saying is that when we share of the hope of Christ in us, we are to fear God. Remember, that's what he's been saying all along. We will share the hope of Christ if we genuinely fear God. We are to do it with the fear of God. That's when we will genuinely love people, when we fear God more. But we also are to do it with humility or with gentleness. One of the most disappointing things I've seen in the church is arrogance and pride. You see, Peter doesn't say share the hope of Christ with arrogance. Peter doesn't say win an argument. Jesus doesn't say fight and defeat your verbal opponent. Jesus, Peter says, share with humility. Humility. 
share with gentleness. Now, I think it's complicated why sometimes we as Christians have come across as very arrogant, as very prideful, very condescending, exactly the opposite of what Peter is saying here, exactly the opposite of how Jesus wants us to represent him. I believe one of the challenges that we face is that we are absolutely convinced that Jesus is the only way. We are absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus Christ himself said that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so you can see how if we are not careful, we become very arrogant and we become very prideful and we look and say, I'm right and they're wrong. We have that attitude lurking in our hearts at times, but we never, ever, ever share the truth with arrogance and pride and condescension. We share it with gentleness and humility. Because the only reason that we know the truth, not because we're smarter, not because we're better, not because we're more worthy. God didn't look at me and say, wow, Dave's really an amazing guy. He's way better than that schmuck living next to him. I'm going to reveal truth to Dave. Absolutely not. I'm a bigger schmuck than the guy living next to me. The only reason that we know truth is because God has revealed it to us. That's it. It's not because you're better. It's not because you're smarter. It's not because you're more righteous. It's not because you're better looking. All of that is what leads to pride. We know the truth for one simple reason, because God in his incredible in his incredible grace revealed it to us. When I was 15 and encountered the truth of Christ for the first time, it wasn't because I was a good kid. It wasn't because I was doing the right thing. It wasn't because I was better than my classmates. I wasn't. It was because of his grace. That's it. Not one of us who knows the truth can look at someone who doesn't and say we're better than them. We're not. We're not. We are simply the objects of God's incredible mercy and grace that he would love us enough to reveal truth to us. There is no room for pride. There is no room for arrogance. There is no room for condescension as we share the hope of Christ with an unbelieving world because we are not better than them. We are not. We are just like them, except that God in his incredible grace has revealed truth to us. And you know what? He still wants to reveal truth to other people. And you know what's even more incredible than that? He wants to use you. He wants to use you as imperfect and weak and incapable as each one of us is, myself included. He wants to use us. He wants to put Christ on display through us. So we do it with gentleness. We do it with humility. May we as the church of Jesus Christ never be accused of thinking ourselves better than anyone else. May we never be accused of preaching the gospel with condescension, with arrogance, with pride, with haughtiness. Yes, we have the truth. Of course we do. 
But that's no reason for pride. That's, that, that's reason for absolute humble, fall-on-your-face amazement that God would reveal truth to us, that God would save us, not because we're better, but because he's amazing. So we share this. We share this hope with humility, with gentleness, and ultimately by fearing the Lord. Verse 16, we keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. A little bit complicated what Peter is doing here, but we're coming back full circle because Peter is ultimately saying it is your good conduct, it is your good behavior, it is your good conscience that is going to have an incredible impact on the unbelieving world. Yeah, we can, we can speak the truth and we should speak the truth. 100%. But ultimately, people in the world are going to be watching us. They're going to be looking at us. They're going to be looking at our conduct. They're going to be looking at our behavior. Now, Peter says, absolutely, there are going to be those in the world that are going to mock us. 100%. He says that. He says that your good behavior in Christ, they may be ashamed of their slander. So there are going to be people who look at us and say, you know, you Christians, you're, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're behind the times. You know, absolutely, we're going to be slandered. But Peter wants to make sure that we're never slandered for doing the wrong thing. Because earlier Peter said, look, you know, if you go through a hard time because you did something wrong, there's no credit in that. But if you go through a hard time because you did something right, now you're becoming like Jesus. So absolutely, there's a possibility that on Friday night, someone's going to laugh at you. There's a possibility someone's going to curse you out. There's a possibility someone's going to call you stupid. Someone's going to call you ignorant. Someone's going to call you hateful. Someone's going to call you behind the times. All the nasty things that the world can think of. Absolutely, there's a very good chance that when we're standing out there, that's going to happen. Now, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to not show up because you're afraid of that? Are you going to not show up because you're afraid of that? Or are you going to fear God more? And when someone reviles you, are you going to revile back? Are you going to say, yeah, you're just as stupid? You're just as dumb? Or are you going to, in gentleness, share the hope of Christ in spite of the mistreatment? Are you going to consider yourself blessed because you're being mistreated for the gospel and you have something greater? Are you going to rejoice when people hurl insults at you and slander you? Is that how the church is going to respond? Is that how living word community is going to respond? Because if we respond that way, you know what's going to happen? People are going to say, wow, there is something different about them. There is something different about them. And there will be some who are ready. We've seen it. We've seen it. There will be some who are ready to hear. There will be some who are wanting to know. And there's nothing better. There's nothing better. I don't think either Phil or Doug would mind me saying so. They're not here, so they can't say, don't tell this story. But however many years ago it was when Phil and Doug were starting to come to this church, they came because they were with Primerica and with Scott, and we had been talking to them about the gospel. We had been sharing the gospel with them. And one Sunday after church, I was talking to Doug, and I said, look, Doug, are you ready to accept Jesus Christ as Lord? And he said, I am. 
And right there in my office, he and I prayed. He accepted Jesus Christ. He's never been the same. He's never been the same. Well, Phil and Doug were close, and Phil heard that Doug had accepted Christ, and at that time we were having Tuesday morning prayer, and Phil was coming to that, so Phil came on Tuesday, and afterwards he said, hey, I heard that, that Doug accepted Christ. Is that, is that right? I said, yeah, Phil, it's right. I said, I just asked Doug if, if he was ready, and Doug said, yeah. I said, Phil, are you ready? And Phil said, yeah, I am. So again, sitting in the office two days later, Phil and I prayed, and Phil accepted Christ. And Phil's life has never been the same since. Yeah, I've gotten laughed at, and I've gotten mocked, and I've gotten insulted. And yeah, that's not my favorite thing. And believe me, in my flesh, come Friday night at about 7, I'd much rather be at home watching a game. Of course in my flesh, that's what I'd rather be doing. I'd be lying to you if I was saying otherwise. But if I'm doing that, am I giving the world an opportunity to find the answer that they're looking for? If I do that, Am I putting the hope of glory in me on display? Yeah, most of us are going to get laughed at. Most of us are going to get mocked. Most of us are going to be disregarded and ignored. But some of us are going to find folks who are ready. Some of us are going to say, wow, what makes you different? Why are you standing out here on a Friday night? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you getting drunk? Why aren't you having sex? Why, aren't you, why are you standing out here in this lot lifting up your hands to Jesus? Why? Are you doing this? There's going to be some that are going to ask that question. And hopefully we will be there. And we will be ready to give an answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, of course, we just want to thank you so much for giving us this time together. What a blessing it is, Lord God. What a blessing it is to know you, to be able to read your word, to be able to hear your voice. And Father, even as I prayed at the beginning, I just want to conclude now. I just pray, Father God, that, that everything that you have spoken, we would hold on to. And if any of these words were my own words, my own thoughts, I pray that those would quickly fall to the ground and be forgotten. But everything, Lord, that was genuinely a reflection of your heart, that was genuinely your voice, voice speaking to us, I pray that we would hold on to that. And Father, we do thank you. We thank you so much that you have loved us enough to reveal truth to us. We're no better than anyone else. In fact, in some ways, we're worse. But Jesus, you have saved us. You have revealed truth to us. So in humility, in gentleness, may we give the world an answer for the hope that is in us. And Jesus, it is in your name and your name alone that we pray these things. Amen. Amen.